This is Radical Learning Talks with Sadi Gonzalez and Becca Koritz. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Liz, an unschooling mother and facilitator at an Agile Learning Center. Liz is going to be talking about her transition from conventional schooling to world schooling, then to unschooling. She's also going to be talking about unschooling as liberation and anti-oppression work and about her deep personal experience to build relationships based on trust and collaboration. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Thanks so much for being part of this podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we asked you to come here because we feel like you have a really, really important story to tell. Um, You are going through a huge transformation in your life right now. And I know that you came to this work first as unschooler, sorry, world schooler, then as an unschooler. And now you're a facilitator at Explora here in Mexico. Yay. Mm. And you're a single mom Mm -hmm. and you have a son. Yes. So we felt like you have a really unique perspective, also because we know you personally and we know the hard work that you're doing day day in and day out to look at yourself and to transform and to follow a path that is like not not the common path. And so, yeah, I would love to just ask you to just start start with like what brought you to unschooling and, and how did how did you begin your journey? Well, I think from my own experience in going to school you know, I went to school in the States, and I got to the States when I, United States when I was nine years old. And where, where were you born, Liz? I was born in La Paz, Bolivia. Mm-hmm. And when I remember my school years, I remember feeling like I didn't belong, like I wasn't accepted, disconnected. And later, as I started growing up, I remember there were times where, you know, I wanted to be white because most of the people around me were and so I was having this identity crisis and I just remember thinking I don't want my son to go through that my son's name's Andy and what is it that I can do so that he feels comfortable with who he is and his own identity and I think that's where my quest started so you're saying like somehow when you were in this system, and this was in the States, right? Mm-hmm. When you were in the States coming from Bolivia, you felt detached or like you, you didn't belong to mm-hmm. this system? Yes. I felt like, well, one, I felt like I didn't belong. I was a minority in the school. I felt like, and then also I started feeling like most popular kids don't look like me and I wanted to be popular so I started not feeling really good about my own identity and of course later as I matured I realized and even now I'm realizing I have such a rich identity but I didn't feel that way when I was growing up so somehow I knew that there was a gap there and as my son who you know his dad is from Bolivia, I'm from Bolivia, so he looks very much Bolivian even though he was born in Virginia. I wondered, is he going to have the same questions about his identity and what can I do to support him in that process so that it doesn't take years the way it took for me. Wow, so you're actually talking about a liberational work. Yes. So how, So, but you went through the whole, like you went to university, you went to college in the States, 
and then now have chosen chose world schooling and now unschooling is that right yes um so the first thing i chose was for my son to go to a school that was an immersion program where the teachers so the first thing i thought about was identity and authority figures so i said well if my son goes to a school where the authority figures are latinos hispanic then he won't have you know the issue that i had Mm. um so that's where i think my process began at at first and then so he went to this immersion school where he learned math and science in spanish and there were teachers that were spanish um but then I started seeing that that wasn't enough. There was more work to be done. I, whereas my parents, I know that the reason they went to the United States was the, so I could get a good education and I could study business and I could have a job and I could get a house. They got me that far. Then I realized, oh, I had identity, an identity crisis. So with my son, I was thinking, well, now we also need to think about that. The more I started looking at not just the external factors, but the internal factors, then I started questioning, then I started questioning the system. What kinds of things were you seeing play out both in your experience and in Andy's experience that really motivated you to continue looking for something different? He was struggling and I was struggling. I remember that there was this specific reading level that he needed to have in first grade and I remember the teachers telling me you know he's in the middle he's not at the bottom of the list but he's not at the top and I remember thinking I need him to be on the top of the list what am I going to do because he's on level 14 in reading and he needs to be on, on level 18 and I had this feeling that I really needed him to be on level 18 because somehow that was going to mean that he was going to be happy in life. Mm. And I was pushing towards how do we do this, and I signed up for a class, how to teach him how to read better. And I remember just pushing him and pushing him, and it didn't feel natural. How did Andrew respond to that? Um, the more I would push him, the less he would want to do it. And we were living a life where we were just trying to cross off the things that we thought, the things that I thought I needed in order for him to be happy. Um, what really shifted me into world schooling is one of my friends, someone I knew from college, his name is Christian, him and his wife, at the time, Patti started a world schooling group in Mexico. So I listened to their podcast, how they were living differently, and I started listening. For the first time in my life, I was exposed to there's a different way to live. I don't just have to make sure that Andy's on level 18 in order to, to feel like a really good parent. There's other options. And that's kind of where my journey started, is learning about Patti and Christian and what they were doing in Mexico with world schooling. So what is world schooling? I'm going to be honest. I don't think that I'm a very knowledgeable person about world schooling, like other people that have been doing it for 15 years. Um, but for me, personally, my own experience started in 2019. Um, I came to Mexico for two months and I lived with 
families. Fatih organized uh, Anahata, and I lived with families where she started talking about unschooling and freedom, mm. just letting kids be, just letting them run around. And that first time I was there, I would stress out so much because I was a helicopter parent. And she, you know, she was just like, oh, we need to let them be. They need to figure things out. And I had never heard that before in my life. Um, but I saw how happy Andy was. He was so happy. I had never seen him running around being so happy. No one was telling him what time to come in, what time to leave. I'd never seen him experience so much freedom and so much joy. And I could see he was excited about life. It wasn't a checklist anymore. And that shifted me. Watching him live so fully shifted me. And so how does that relate to like what you first started talking about, this identity, the search for identity? Do you, do you feel like there's a connection there? Yes, I do. Because I think that part of the reason that I felt an identity crisis is because I didn't have freedom to be who I am to even know how much fun I can have if I'm just free I started off in this world where there was a checklist it was a checklist of this is what you need to look like maybe do cheerleading being the drill team so you could be popular so you could be liked wear certain clothes that's kind of what I was seeing when I was in school and when I saw Andy at Anahata that first time, it was just running and having fun. There was no, yeah, there was no structure to it. It was just natural having fun. And I started realizing if he goes to school, somehow he's gonna filter everything through what he's seen. And he's gonna think that I need to be this way. I need to act this way. I need to dress this way in order to be happy. And when there's freedom, you're just happy because you're laughing and you're having fun and you're running. And sometimes, yeah, you're having disagreements with the kids, the other kids, but then you resolve it and then you're happy again. And that's kind of the difference. Wow, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by this story, Liz, because personally, I hadn't heard it before. Um, but I'm thinking that even though it must have been really liberational to watch him, I'm imagining that you also had a lot of doubts and fears popping up. I did. My mom and I, I remember they were jumping on, what is that thing called? Like a trampoline. A trampoline, and they were just jumping and jumping, and they were also kind of pushing each other. And my mom kept telling me, they really shouldn't be doing that. You need to tell them to stop. And I also felt like they're going to get hurt. And if somebody gets hurt, I'm going to be in trouble. I think, you know, I thought my son's going to be in trouble. I'm going to be in trouble. And I was mostly worried, honestly, about whether my son was going to hurt someone, not so much if he was going to hurt himself. Because I was afraid of what parents were going to think of me. I'm new to world schooling, and I really wanted to fit in. Again, I was carrying that same programming from before. And... It was different um, to, yeah, I was really scared. And, but I, other parents modeled for me. And that's really what helped me is living with them temporarily. I saw how they would talk to their kids. These parents had already been doing work that I hadn't heard of. 
And so they modeled for me and that helped me. So in what way did they model? What, what kind of behavior or communication did they have with their kids that you weren't used to? I remember one of my friends would um, talk to her daughter in a way and say, I know that you must feel this way. They would talk about validating their feelings. They would also talk about just letting them have the freedom to know when they would need help. If they need help, they'll ask. So just giving them freedom and not overseeing them all the time. Letting them play without adult supervision all the time was what I noticed. And other parents weren't afraid. They weren't sitting there trying to tell them exactly how to play. So interesting that, you know, you use the word freedom. And we also talk about, you know, liberation work and how our kids can be so free in moments where we trust in this process, but we ourselves can be so oppressed by the way that we are seeing the situation. So I know you are working your butt off right now. Um, I would love if you could explain a little bit your journey moving from world schooling to unschooling to now being a facilitator at Explora. Yeah, so I think that I could tell that I really needed support because I could hear what parents might say and what was working for them. Unschooling was working for them. Yet in my mind, I still had doubts of, you know, I'm just going to, am I just going to, I didn't know how to really unschool. I hadn't really read. So I, my version of that was maybe I just let him be and do nothing. But I had internal feelings and I didn't know what to do with those. So I couldn't really just, let Andy have freedom without being completely affected by how I was filtering all of that. And I needed support for those internal feelings that I was having. Doing the work. Yes, <laughs> doing the work. You took our training. That's how we got to know you. You took the shift. Yes, and that shift really, it was like the missing puzzle piece, piece of the puzzle for me, because I was already questioning things. I knew that I needed to seek out more. I had experienced parents who were unschooling and world schooling for a while. But I didn't know what to do with my internal feelings. And when I got to the shift, we talked so much about that. And that was just, yes, that kind of tied a knot on like, this is the way. Yeah, I was really blown away by you because you reached out to me two days before the training started and you were like, I'm going to be there. And you were and you showed up. And the courage that you've had in this entire process has been so inspiring. And I know so many people have learned from you in, in your process. And I would love if you could share with people what that's been like, because, you know, you did this training and then you started facilitating with Andy being present and your mom being here <laughs> and you just dove right in. So um, what has that process been like for you? I'm going to be honest. I was looking for a solution. So I thought if I do the training and my son goes to Explora, all my problems will be solved. I will have <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> I thought I'll parenting check. I was still kind of thinking of a checklist. I just need to find the right place. And that's all I need to do. So I came to the training. I rented a place. I decided that I was going to stay. And I rented a place 
really close to Explora because in my mind, Andy was going to go there because I found the right place for him and he was going to walk to Explora and that's it. And then I realized he didn't want to go. <laughs> he said he didn't want to go and, you know, I started to cry. I was thinking, I'm doing all this work finding the right place for you and you don't want to go. And I didn't ask him, you know, if he wanted to go, why he didn't want to go. I didn't take the time to have the conversation. And sorry, it was with your guidance um, that then I started inquiring and realizing. And, and, and he said to me, you've been dragging me around everywhere and you think I'm just going to stay here and I'm not. And I didn't realize in my mind, I was doing the right thing because I was finding the right place for him. I was choosing it, though. I wasn't allowing him to choose it. Hmm. So that was my first realization that I guess I thought I did the training. I found a place. That's it. And, and it wasn't that. It was that I needed to actually realize I hadn't been asking him. I, I wasn't giving him space to talk. I thought, I'm an adult. I know best. I found the right place for us. I've been through so much and I felt like he was being ungrateful. I wasn't putting myself in his shoes until he started talking to me because I started being curious. So you have, you, you, and you're still, you're, you have done this and you're still doing this shift from being kind of an authoritarian parent to a freer parent, more compassionate, building equitable relationships. How is that process for you? And how is it for Andy? I mean, from what you can perceive. It's really hard. Um, sometimes I feel like... Um, most of the time I feel like I'm messing up. <laughs> like I don't know what I'm doing. And then there are these moments... Because I'm not used to giving him so much freedom. So sometimes I walk around thinking, I don't think this is right. He has way too much freedom. He's doing whatever he wants at home. I don't know. I don't know about this. So I start questioning myself. And then there are moments when I remember I'm doing this summer play group at Explora. And the first day that we were going to go, Andy had agreed to do this with me. And it was raining. And he said, you know, right before we had to leave, I'm really tired. It's raining. I don't want to go all these excuses I was so angry and then he stood by the window he had his back towards me and he said okay mom I'll tell you the truth I'm really nervous about going I'm afraid that no one's going to show up it's not going to go well and that moment I knew that I'm like he trusts me he's starting to trust me he's telling me the truth how many times was he maybe just complaining about being tired or this? And he wasn't telling me what he was really feeling because he didn't trust me. And so there are these moments when I realize the work that I'm putting in and, you know, is working. But there are moments that I doubt it still, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. It's, it's completely normal. And it's work and it's a process. It's not like you, you go to one training and that's it. You figure it out. But... I am curious what has been helpful for you in this process. 
I think what's been helpful, well, Sari, honestly, I think a lot of your feedback has been helpful in that process. Um, I think one of the first things I heard you say was this is about trust. And I remember one of the first things you said to me when I thought I found the right place, he's going to go here, everything's going to be fixed. You said, you know, this isn't like a one-stop place where, I don't remember how you put it, but I understood it as basically this isn't going to solve everything. The work is for you to do and you need to really work on it. And recognizing that the dysfunction that was happening between Andy and I, that lack of trust, was something that I was creating. It wasn't something that I could just hand off to somebody else to fix because I was create, co-creating that. Oh, so you're meaning basically you, you couldn't outsource your parenting. Yes. And even if I tried, he was still going to come home and we were still going to have the same dynamic. Yeah. It wasn't going to be solved. What I really wanted was a relationship where we get along really well and unless I shifted... It didn't matter where he was going to go. I needed to shift because it was also happening at home. And I think when you said that to me, I remember the first time you said that to me, I was like, this means that she doesn't want Andy to go to Explora? It was Andy that didn't want to go, but I guess I just wanted you to take him in anyways. Just like, just let him stay even if he doesn't want to be there because that's supposed to solve my problems. But when you said that, I realized, oh... There's something about our relationship. He's not trusting me, and I'm not trusting him. Because, yeah, why would he trust me? I haven't been asking him for consent. And sometimes I've been manipulating him and bribing him. So, of course, he doesn't trust me. And that was really hard to see. It's painful at times, but it's also it's, it's so beautiful to hear. Yes, I think it shifted everything. Um that curiosity that we that you both talked about at the shift being really curious and I think just having someone's perspective and asking those questions just asking a question that I can really sit with and process in terms of my role and the hierarchy the inner hierarchy that I had in me as I was raising him so what you're saying is that your, your relationship with Andy is actually shifting because you're now so much more involved in creating tr- a trusting relationship based upon consent. How do you think that Andy feels about that? Has he shared that with you? Yes, and I think, you know, I've noticed that he... Somehow he's more mindful, I think... I think one thing I said about empathy, I remember in the training, I said, you know, I don't feel like Andy's being empathetic with me. I moved all the way over here. I found this place. I'm working so hard. I don't think he's being empathetic. And Becca, I think you said, are you being empathetic with him? Are you role modeling empathy? And at that point I wasn't. And now that I am role modeling empathy, I will say things like, Andy, I'm really tired. I don't want to go grocery shopping. Could you please go with me? And, you know, sometimes he'll go because he's empathizing with me. 
because he knows <laughs> that we got to take the colectivo and it's really hot and we got to walk and he wouldn't have done it before. So the more empathy I give him, even if it's like he wants to be on YouTube <laughs> a long time and if I understand, okay, you know, I'm going to let him do that. I think, Becca, you said one time, don't you just want to, don't you just binge on Netflix sometimes? And I remember I thought, yeah, but I can do that. He can't do that. Because he's just a kid. <laughs> yeah. I can binge whenever I want, but I don't want him to do that. So the more I started thinking about those things and empathizing with him and giving him space, I noticed he started being more helpful around the house. And it's not all the time, but definitely more than before. So he's watching you change. That must be an extremely powerful experience for him as well. Does he say anything about that? You know, it's interesting that you're asking me that question because he did at the beginning when I was changing, um, he would, but right at this moment, what's coming to mind, it's something most more recent. Um, because I am facilitating while he's there during the summer program. Um, he did say to me, Mom, you know, you're not, you're treating me different than the other kids. You're treating me, you're not giving me, you're treating me worse than you're treating the other kids. And I didn't understand why he would, I, well, at first I didn't really understand, you know, where he's coming from, why is he saying that? Um, and then he said, you know, you're treating me when there, there's a younger learner there. When she loses a game or when she's going through a really hard time, you sit with her, you're patient with her, and you talk to her, and you don't treat me that way. And at this moment I'm thinking, well, she's five. You know, like, why am I going to treat you this way? But now I'm realizing... What he's asking is, when I'm having a hard time with something, I'm feeling judgment from you, Mom. And I'm not feeling like you're being as compassionate with me when I'm having a hard time. So I do think now the way he does express trust is by telling me how he feels. That's huge. Beautiful. Yeah, It. I mean... And I think that I have to be so mindful because I have to really think, what is he, you know, the, the, the initial part of me just wants to judge him and say, I can't believe he wants me to treat him the way I treat a five-year-old. He's so, what is he asking for? There's a part of me that initially wants to come with judgment. And then I have to really stop. And I, I think what I've learned at the shift and from working with both of you, starting from hearing all your feedback, is asking myself, what is he needing right now? And what strategies he using? Instead of just judging him and saying, he's being so spoiled, he's asking for too much. You mean looking at him like a human? <laughs> <laughs> like another human? And I think that's what's happening. I think he's saying, you look at other kids like humans, but you don't look at me like a human. And it's true. Somewhere along the line, I think there's just, I think <laughs> it's so hard. Parenting is so hard, you know, and 
I don't know. I just remember nursing and not sleeping and then trying so hard and then just resorting to and just being so busy and then just resorting to, yeah, you know, manipulation and bribes and then lack of trust. And now he's also lying to me, even though I'm also lying to him. I kind of judge him more for it. So then we start in this relationship that's already has some dysfunctions and it's hard to pull back from those dysfunctions. I feel like my brain automatically goes to, he's manipulating me. So I don't treat him like a human. I treat him like someone that's manipulating me all the time. And I just react like that without giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm carrying that. All those years of dysfunctional parenting. And it's, it's hard to shed that when he's talking to me. And it's affecting him. I can see it. And it sounds like as you feel guilt and shame around it, too. I do. I feel guilt and shame. Yeah. We all do, Liz. Oh, yeah. We all do. I can relate to that. I don't think you're the only parent that has those conversations with their kids. And, and bringing it back to what we started talking about is this is anti-oppression work, you know. And when we've been oppressed as people and peoples for so long in different ways it's ingrained in us and so this is this is big big liberation work so i would love to ask what you like what tips or advice or thoughts do you have for maybe the parent that's out there that is really identifying with what you're saying identifying identifying with feeling the same way you know about the system or about their identity wanting to have a better relationship with their kid curious about unschooling what what would you tell them what tip would you give them hmm. well i think you know for me personally i find that i learn really well by well i know there's a lot of books out there and you know but i can read something yet it's not quite going to sink in so for me the shift by far that workshop has really made a huge difference for me so finding mentors i would say that have been doing the work for a long time that can really guide you you know whether that's through a workshop or trainings I think that's really that has really made a difference for me and I learn better that way personally um, so I would say being around other people also that are on that journey so finding mentors that are on that journey being around other people that are on that journey because otherwise you feel you know you feel like a, you're too different you might get judged I know some my, my mom still you know, judges me. She she was asking me, well, Andy isn't learning math and he's not learning this. So, I mean, maybe it'll be great if he goes back to public school. And, you know, my dad also feels the same way. So I think it's really important to find community. And just out of curiosity, what do you tell them when, when they say those things? <laughs> um, you know, what I was telling my mom, I think is, because um, she is going, she's with me during um, as I'm facilitating. And I think today there were so many conversations. Well, while 
the kids were playing, there were so many conversations about changing the agreements on the play. Well, I don't really think that's fair. So, Gail, what do you think? And there was all this negotiating going on. And also, I've noticed there's a lot of talk about, you know, feelings about how somebody feels and somebody didn't follow an agreement. And so I told my mom, Mom, you and I sometimes can't have this conversation. In living together, sometimes we have a hard time talking about the dishes or cleaning. We're not expressing our needs and then we get resentful and it comes out in a different way and we're not understanding each other. And I say, they're learning how to express their needs now. They might not be learning, you know, how to multiply, but they're learning how to express their needs in a compassionate way so they can be understood. This is big work that's going to really help them in all their relationships. And I think she's starting to see that. Amazing. So what is your hope for the future? Hmm. I think about... I think about all my relationships now um, with my mom, I guess with his dad, and I think about all the times I couldn't express myself in a compassionate way, like express my needs and boundaries, and I can see where that led to, right? That led to a lot of hurtful conversations, a lot of judgment, a lot of shame, a lot of pain. And my hope for the future is that Andy will learn, that he will learn how to have these conversations, even if it starts with, I don't agree with that, can we try it this way? Or what I'm needing is this. If he learns this now, you know, I'm hoping he'll have really healthier relationships than I have had. Um, so that's really my hope for him and for all the learners there, that they'll be able to collaborate and solve big problems together. You think that unschooling and this kind of, this work can save the world? I do. I think that for a long time I was really following a checklist of having, you know, I was working for a nonprofit, and I thought, if I'm working for a nonprofit whose mission I believe in, I'm going to be happy. If I find all the external things that are on my checklist, I'm going to be happy. And I'm realizing now that it's about the internal world. If we're not addressing and taking the time to be aware of who we are outside of a checklist, of what we need outside of what everyone else thinks you need, then you're not living a life that's authentic. And I think that it's really important. And, and I'm learning now, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not making as much money as I used to. I'm making very little money. But I have a more authentic life. And that is priceless. And I wonder... What would have happened if I would have started living authentically at a younger age? Where would I be now? Well, you're here, and I'm so happy you're here. And if everyone could see your smile right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you've got the most beautiful smile I know. 
Thank you. Authentically beautiful smile. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you here, Liz, and listening to your story and your reflections. It's deep work. Thank you for your support and for what you're doing to help other parents for the workshop, for the work. I'm benefiting so much from it. So I'm so glad that you're both paving the way. Thank you. Thank you. If somebody has a question for you, can they reach out to us and ask? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have a question for Liz, reach out to info at radical-learning.org. And we have a a pro <laughs> a pro working her butt off unschooling mom here that will be happily answering your questions. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about the shift, please look at radical-learning.org. And for more tips on how we work, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. If you're curious about our learning center, Explora, go to explora-aoc.org. In the next episode of Radical Learning Talks, we will be talking about a big topic, consent, and why it's so important. Stay tuned.